Um, I always like to ask these questions because they're always interesting to me. Um, so Thanksgiving is next week. You guys know we're not going to have service next week. Uh, we're not allowed to have church uh, the day before you love a bunch of turkey, so we won't be doing that. Um, how many of you eat turkey on Thanksgiving? You do? How many of you do not eat turkey on Thanksgiving? I don't eat turkey on Thanksgiving. I don't like turkey. I don't eat turkey anytime. I don't. I don't. Uh, I just don't like turkey. You have to chew a bunch, and you fall asleep. So, and there's no benefit. There's no return for me. So, um, I like I like enchiladas on Thanksgiving. Tamales. Tamales are um, big thing for me on Thanksgiving. I love that. Um, now I like all the other stuff. I like the mashed potatoes and stuffing and and the. Um, and the cranberry that looks like a can has come out like a can. You know, you slice it, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so uh, how many of you, Thanksgiving is a time that you get together with family? Is that a, is that a, is that, okay, let me ask it this way. Is Thanksgiving, a, who, who, is thanks, who gets together more at Thanksgiving with family than you do Christmas? Thanksgiving is bigger than Christmas for that. You don't have a choice? Okay, good to know. <laughs> they hold us hostage. We have to be there. <clears throat> How many of a, a Christmas is a family thing? So Linda and I are in a stage of life now where we have to um, plan out Christmases because uh, our, our kids are starting to have other families. The other families. But yeah, but we get to be with Eloise this Christmas, which is going to be the biggest one for her life, right? So, um, how many of you eat turkey on Christmas? How about uh, ham? Is, is Christmas ham? Tamales. You got to have tamales. You have tamales at all. Just tamales every day of your life. <clears throat> We don't eat ham anymore? Why don't we eat ham anymore? Oh, yeah, well, I'm, I can still eat ham. Just because she doesn't eat pork, she'll eventually come around. <clears throat> um, so how many of you are uh, going out of town for Thanksgiving? Staying nearby? I don't know what out of town is. I guess out of town could be Denver, I don't know. Um, how many families coming to you? Thanksgiving, friend, family. How about Christmas? Who's got family coming in for Christmas? Family going out of town for Christmas. You're going out of town for Christmas. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't be raising our hands for that. I get. We've been broke into so many times. (laughs) Who's gonna be gone for Christmas? (laughs) Who has a big TV in their living room that you're gonna be leaving for Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just I, I've always found um, those kind of dynamics interesting. Family and where do you go and what do you do and those kind of things. And Lynn and I are going to Missouri for Christmas because nothing says Christmas like Springfield, Missouri. And so, so, um, oh, is that where we're going for Thanksgiving? Well, Thanksgiving might not as be as bad because it's kind of fallish. But you want to be in Colorado for Christmas. That's where Jesus is at Christmas. He's not in Missouri. Jesus doesn't go to Missouri for Christmas. Yeah, I can't. It's, it's not fair to Jesus. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> all right. So here, here's what we're gonna do. Thank you for joining us, Nikki. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go down through the book. I I, I went through all the chapters and I. Um, just put a couple of sentences that I think will encapsulate that chapter. So I want you to process this because the whole book is about uh, really, so Francis resigns from his mega church and he sits down a couple years later and says, I think these are things that need to be said to the church. And these, this is kind of a cumulative effect of why he resigned the church and some of that kind of thing. Okay. So, and, and, and he's got very solid stuff in the book about this is, this is, this is kind of what the church looks like now, and uh, here's some things that are, are different than the way the church is supposed to look. Where do we get the information 
of how the church is supposed to look. What did you say? Yes, New Testament, the Bible. The Bible tells us what the church is supposed to look like. And there's actually um, a lot of stuff in the, in the, in the uh, New Testament about the church, about what the church is supposed to look like. It is interesting, though, that there's not a lot of things about how services should look in the New Testament, except for what things should be in the services. Right? We talked about this. It's, it's interesting that all the things that we do in, in American church, if, if you, you, know, you ask the average church, what are the top five most important things that need to happen in a church service? <clears throat> most of the time, those are not in the Bible at all. They're just not there. Um, and then the top five most important things that are in the Bible that should be happening anytime believers get together are not always involved in, in churches. And in fact, some of them are never involved in churches, depending on the type of church and those kind of things. Okay, So th- this, is, this has always been one of the things. And of course, I come from a Pentecostal background, so, so I grew up in this. And, and um, it, it's just interesting to me how major, major chunks of the church, um, it, kind of around the world, but really... The church is growing so fast around the rest of the world, and, and it is overwhelmingly Pentecostal. Okay? It's, not, it's not like mainline is growing across the planet. Um, it, it's not like this massive push of Lutheran is happening across the planet. It's just not. They don't even think evangelical. They're not even considered evangelical, so they don't do that. Um, the, the church is growing a lot, specifically Africa, South America, even um, we're starting to see major pushes right now. The fastest growing church, uh, um, uh, Christian church in the world is where right now? I, what? It's not Korea. Now, when I say fastest growing, you understand I don't mean the largest. I mean, percentage-wise, it's growing quickly. Not Africa. <laughs> not Springfield. No, not Springfield. <laughs> Things tanking. In no, that's not true. <clears throat> Fastest growing Christian church in the world right now is Iran. Can you imagine that? Now, when you start with one and you go to two, that means you doubled. So you have to put that a little bit into balance with fastest. Okay, but still, the fact that the church is growing at all in Iran is um, is is uh, an amazing thing. Okay, so <clears throat> so the the the. The interesting thing that we see uh, about this, and I've always just wondered, is the American church pushes so strong against the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in the church. And obviously not the Pentecostal charismatic side, but, but much of American church says we don't want that at all. And it's actually written in the Bible that this should be there. But all the other stuff we put emphasis on is not written in the Bible that it should be there. This is the weird thing to me is, is, is we build something that's actually, there's not a model in Scripture, there's only a model in people's books. But the model in Scripture is not um, recreated with, uh, with, with like a sense of intentionality and urgency in America. And then we look, and I just saw a, a statistic today that, that um, over 70, uh, 70% of all millennials do not see a need for church at all. Doesn't, it doesn't, there's no point for it in their thinking. And there was a bunch of stuff in that article about do they believe in God? Um, over 30% of all of the United States right now, 30%, not of millennials, of the entire United States consider themselves to be atheist. And, and, and again, I, as, I'm, as I'm going through the last couple of days, going back through Francis Chan's book, it just keeps coming back to me. We try so hard to, to create all these things for the church, for it to be edgy and cool and modern and, and all, all the gimmicks and all the stuff. And the, I, don't, I guess I didn't notice it the first time through the book or it didn't stick in my head or something. But, he, but he, uh, Francis said in there in one of the chapters, he said, what would you think if the local mosque uh, down the road says all Muslims that come to church this weekend will get a free Starbucks card or an uh, Amazon gift card. So you'd think, what? That doesn't make sense. But we do that in, in Christian church. We do that in uh, evangelical church. Give away, you know, like I, I remember back in the day, you know, like if you signed up for a free check-in account, some of you were like, what's a check-in account? 
you sign up for a checking account, you got like a blender or something. You guys remember, you're old enough to remember that kind of stuff? You got a toaster. Toaster was really popular. I, you know, it's weird how, why do we have to do that stuff? Why isn't Jesus just big enough? That's, that just always gets me. So now as I walk down through these, what I would, what I would like for you to do is to process what do you, which area, which one of these, or maybe more than one, that you would say, you know what, I think I would have to change in this arena. I think the Holy Spirit needs me to change here for, for me to be part of the kingdom of God going forward, right? Does that make sense the way I said that? If, if, the, if the church is going, so this is the way I started out the whole book. This is the way I always ask the question, <clears throat> Um, this, I ask our board this, I ask our staff this on a regular basis. If, if you, if, if everybody in the church, or let's take the kingdom of God, if everybody in the kingdom of God looked like you, according to how you pray, how often you pray, reading the Bible, do you read the Bible, do you not, do you witness, whatever, take each one of those categories and analyze yourself, would the kingdom of God move forward or would it stop right there? Okay, obviously the easiest one, we go to first is witnessing. If, if the kingdom of God has seen, if, if you were the example of witnessing for the kingdom of God, would, the, would people be getting saved or would they not be getting saved? And you can easily assess that by saying how many people have been saved because of my endeavors, right? If you say one, which by the way, you're, you're ahead of the game for most Christians in America, if you've won one person to Jesus Christ, okay, most, most Christians have never won anybody to Jesus Christ, most, over 80%. In fact, over 80% of pastors have never won anybody to Jesus Christ, right? So would the kingdom of God move forward if, 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 the, if the people got saved at the rate that you are setting, at the pace you are setting? Would we know more of God's word or less of God's word if, if the kingdom of God studied the word of God at the pace you are studying the Word of God, whatever, however you want to design that or describe that. Um, what about prayer? Would we really be drawing closer to the Lord and seeking God as as the body of Christ worldwide if everybody was setting the pace you are setting? That that's the way I analyze this on a regular basis, and and, and I do that all the way down to little things that may seem insignificant. If everybody in the body of Christ loved people like I love people, would people be loved? I mean, you could, you could break it down into anything you want and just ask the question. And so knowing that we have some things in our life that need to change, every one of us have to have changes for, for us to be um, a, a, a healthy part of the body of Christ moving forward. Not just, not just do we need to change things so that our Christianity gets better, or looks better, or we're better church people, or whatever, all the ways that we kind of frame this in our head. I'm saying the body of Christ, would the body of Christ be healthier or not healthier? Because I heard a youth pastor use this example one time, and he, <clears throat> it, was, it was years ago, long, long time ago, and at the time I thought, this is a cool message. Now I'm thinking, I think I would use different examples, illustrations, but he, would, he showed people with, with tumors <laughs> hanging off their body. And he said, are you the tumor? Are you the healthy body? Do you need to be cut off? And then he'd show the picture of like where they'd cut a tumor out and stuff. And all the kids were like, you know. But that was like 25, 30 years ago. I still remember the message. So, and I was a youth pastor. Um, but I've thought about that. Would it be healthier for the body of Christ for you to be lanced <laughs> or Not. Well, we can use a lot of verbiage here, right? Um, but really, to, to really do some self-analyzation, some self-assessment, say, where am I? am I in these things? So I'm going to read down through these, and you ask yourself as we're walking down through this, and I'm not going to ask you, it's not, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a chance to volunteer some information if you want, but it's not like I'm going to say, okay, now where did you rate yourself? Because some of this, even to verbalize, it may be um, a lot more uh, revealing than you want, a lot more transparent than you want. I get that. I totally get that, Okay. So, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the opening uh, um, chapter in the book, talking about humility, um, are we, do we pray for humility? 
And, and one of the questions that he asked in the book is, ask someone else to assess your humility. Man, that's rough, right? Um, especially if it's somebody close to you. Like if we just said right now, um, have your spouse stand up and assess your humility for all of us right now. How many of you be like, ooh, pick me, pick me, right? Okay, the next chapter, sacred. We are the stewards of the mysteries of God, unsearchable riches of God. The church is sacred because it is filled with the people that God created. And then he gives some examples of things that, that used to be sacred and don't seem to be sacred anymore. When we gather together and we pray, uh, when we're things like um, taking communion together, the, the, uh, just the, kind of the sacredness of those moments, when we're really worshiping, I'm not saying just, you know, in the middle of a song service and, and, and everything's, you know, people are excited and talking to God and all that kind of, but I'm saying when, 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 it, when it gets into a worshiping place, it doesn't always happen, it doesn't happen very often. But, but when everybody in any setting, this is not a common thing. This is one of the things about worship in America that, that gets me is we call it praise and worship, but very, very few bodies uh, in corporate gatherings actually go into true intimate worship. That's a very solemn thing. It's a very sacred thing. It's a very repentive time. Things that are sacred. Do, do, do we, you and I, do we... Um, is there a sacredness to our relationship with God and understanding that we're dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? I, God made me for, for specifically for the Holy Spirit to live within me. That, that's a sacred thing, okay? The order, how we do things. Uh, when God says, do something, do we obey? I mean, you've got to ask that on a personal level. If, if God, this comes back, in fact, this is what we talked about Sunday night at, at my house for the journey is um, things like gifts of the Spirit and how, how do you step out in obedience and faith um, to operate in one of the gifts of the Spirit. And obviously the verbal ones are the ones that are scariest, it seems like, um, like speaking in tongues, interpretation, word of knowledge, stuff like that. Do we, if, if God prompts us, do we do that? There, that's actually in the Bible as part of an order of our service. That should be part of our service. That should be part of every church service on the planet every time they get together. That's what Paul says. And that's one of the things we, it's the quickest to, to toss aside, specifically for the American church. And so are we obedient when God says, okay, you've put your order of service together, but what about my order of service? What about when I want something to happen? Um, are we more concerned with uh, like consumerism? That we, that we do things and say it's God. That, that's, a, that's a big one too. Um, do, we, do we develop strategies instead of pursuing the presence of God? That's what I was talking about earlier, making a joke about it, but, but we, you know, do you give a free Starbucks card away to somebody? It's not bad to give a Starbucks card away, right? But it's interesting that the church thinks that's what's the key instead of, Jesus, you just show up. You just be here. You... You bless us with you, supernatural presence of God in our existence, and, and we, will, we won't have enough seats all the time. The very first time Jesus shows up in the New Testament, after the, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people got saved instantaneously. The church went from um, 100, 150, somewhere in there, maybe more, to 3,000 and 150. That's, that's mind-boggling. But, it, but it's because salvation happened in people's lives. People, people received um, Jesus. Okay, So the next one, the gang, the chapter called The Gang. He talks about the gang member and the feeling, feeling like the body of Christ is truly the body of Christ, loving people. Do we, do we love people the way we're supposed to? I don't even know if the way that we're supposed to is the right way to say that, right? Do we just love people? We just love people. Love them to Jesus. You, you, you've heard my, my soliloquy on this, that loving people to Jesus, not, not loving them to the church, loving them to yourself, loving them to your group, 
loving them to like you, but loving, loving them to Jesus. Loving them all the way to Jesus. Past any return that, that you'll ever get. Do we just love people? Love their soul. Love their heart. <clears throat> Truly pursuing people with the love of Christ. We pursue God, but do we pursue people too? Okay, so I'll, um, I'll tell this little story because I've been talking about it over the last month or so, and I don't think I'm going to tell it on a Sunday um, for a while because of some of the privacy of the individual. Um, it's not totally bad, it's, but I mean, it's not totally private. It's too long to explain. But so a, a few months ago, I was on the airplane, and, um, and I'm, uh, I'm trying to go to sleep, and there's this guy sitting beside me with a little kid in his lap, maybe two years old. And he, he sits down, he put, turns the iPad on, puts the headphones on the little boy, and then literally just goes to sleep. And the little boy's just watching the iPad. And, every, and then every now and then he'd just reach over and grab me like this, the little boy would. And I'm like, why are you doing that? So, because I think he thought, because he's watching the video, he never, he never took his eyes off it. In, in his mind, I think he thought his mom was sitting beside him after a while. Okay, his mom was like five or six rows up in front of us. And then he would scratch me like this and put his hand in my armpit and never took his eyes off the video. And then every now and then the video would go blank or something like that and he'd look up at his dad and then look over at me and I would fix the iPad for him. And his dad never woke up. And then um, one time, one time I was, I was leaning over and I was doing something on the iPad and I look up and his dad's awake and he's just looking at me like this. And I, I just, you know, I kind of, you know, guys do that, you know. <laughs> While I'm playing on his kid's iPad. I went like that and he goes, goes back to sleep. So about 10 minutes before we landed, and this, this was, you know, two and a half hour flight. All this, it's just me and the kid, and I've got, I'm t- taking the headphones off and on because the kid kept, I mean, he messing with me the whole time. And um, so about 10 minutes before we landed, his dad sat up and just kind of woke up, and now he's awake. And uh, just starts talking to me like we've been talking the whole time. Starts telling me things, what he's doing, he's coming to Colorado, look for a place to live, that kind of thing. And so I'm telling him, he was looking up at Steamboat and looking at um, Aspen and some places like that. So we're talking about Colorado and things, and, and um, he's asking a bunch about how Colorado is and the market. And all. I mean, we talk for about 10 or 15 minutes, very, it's like he's taking notes, literally. And then when we land, Linda's about 10 rows behind me. When we land, he and I walk off, his wife is waiting there, and we stand out in the airport for another probably 15 minutes waiting for Linda to come out. And now I'm talking to him about the church. I'm talking to him because he asks, what do I do in Springs? And I tell him all this stuff. And Okay, and so Linda comes out, and we're kind of walking down, heading for baggage. And then Linda's foot was hurting, so she went off. And I don't know where she went. And so, um, so I finally get to baggage, and I'd given you my card and information. When I get to baggage, I come around the corner, and I can see over his shoulder he's putting my information in his phone. That's different than saying, hey, here's my phone number. If you need something, give me a call. Okay, you know, like most people will do. He's put, and when I walk around the corner, I said, oh, and he goes, hey, I just, I just put your information on my phone. I'm going to call you sometime. Okay. So my bags come around, and I'm watching my bags go around for about 15 minutes because his bags haven't come out yet, but we're talking. So I'm just sitting there. Linda's down the other end of the airport, and every time the bag comes around, I was like, no, this is more important. So... Um, so I, I'm, I'm starting to talk to him more and talk to him about what it means to, uh, to really, does God have a plan for where you live? That kind of thing. You know, I'm trying to use all that. So I don't know, um, <clears throat> a few days later, I get an email from him asking me questions, telling me what was going on, um, wherever they looked for houses and some of that kind of stuff. So I, I uh, emailed him back, and then he said... Um, Make sure I get this right, Linda. He said something along the lines of, uh, it'd be better if you text. And so we actually had started texting. And then he said, if this is going to work, I guess we're going to have to do this on a regular basis. And, uh, and you said something about praying. I guess we could pray for each other. 
he, he's not a Christian. It, it's obvious from our conversations, from a bunch of stuff, he's not a Christian. Well, I was a little concerned with if this is going to work because I'm married, so I don't know. <laughs> I did show Linda. I was like, Linda, what, what do you think about this? Am I stepping into a bad place? But, uh, but obviously, this, so this has been a couple months now, and at least three or four times a week, uh, we talk back and forth. And one time he said, I said, well, I'll be praying for you to get the right house and do all the stuff. And, and I've been asking him, why does his wife want to leave? That's not any of our business here, but there's a lot of stuff. And I talked to him about his, his, um, he's, his emotional makeup. He seemed discouraged about some things. So we, I've, been, I've been losing any, any avenue I can to try to talk to this guy about the Lord. And, um, and then he said, well, I guess I could pray for you. You could tell he doesn't pray. He's not a Christian. But I'm telling him, I'm praying for him every day. And he says, what do you want me to pray for you about? Here's what I said. I really want our church to not just do church. I want them to pursue God with everything about them. He texts back, I don't know what that means. And I thought, I knew you didn't. <laughs> so here we go. So for, literally for the next couple of weeks, just talking about that, and he would respond back. He said, I've never heard people talk about Jesus this way, but I kind of I agree with that. I think your church should do that. <laughs> you know, that kind of, I'm like, do you? Do you think the church should do But it's just interesting. I, I, I just know, I just know, guys, people want to be a part of the body of Christ. There's not a lot of real, genuine authentic communities where people truly care for each other, transcendently. Not care for each other as long as I'm gaining something, but truly transcendently care for each other. And, and this guy and his wife are very much like that. In fact, just a couple days ago, I asked him some of the things, because they actually are end up moving to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and um, asking some questions. Why does your wife want to move? We went back to that, and and, um, and man, he's searching, and his wife is searching so deeply, deeply, deeply searching, because they don't, they have no, they have no compass, they have nothing, there's nothing, they're not bad people, you can tell, it seemed to be very genuine, both of them, his wife was a little, I've only talked to her like five, five minutes walking down the airport, and she was like, why are you and my husband so close? And I want to say, it's your son. He's been harassing me the entire flight. But, <clears throat> but just, the, just the, the hunger that these two people have. And I know, I know that the people that you're around every single day are just like this guy. You just have to figure out how to get that conversation started and how to work into um, an, enough trust that they will have conversation with you. It's not easy. It's not... And, and you're not going to be successful. You're going to be, you're going to, you'll be successful a very small percentage of time. Okay? That's just true. Um, because people are, are wary. Everybody's wary of everybody nowadays. But look for the opportunities. Look for the opportunities. There's, there's two things about my wife that I think are pretty interesting in this. Um, and, and all of us, I'm using her as an example, but all of us are the same way. There's a positive and a negative. Okay? Every personality is different. You have a positive and a negative here. My wife's personality, when, when she goes into Walmart, um, by the time she leaves Walmart, the, the register lady, they know everything about each other and, if, and maybe have even hugged before it's all said and done. It's weird because I'll walk up sometimes and she's sitting there and she's like, do you know Mary Bell? Like, I know Mary Bell. And uh, yeah, her cousin, this. And I'm like, how did you been here two minutes? How do you know all of these things? Because that's not me. I have to work hard at that. It's not my personality. In fact, when I'm sitting at restaurants, I ask waiters and waitresses questions specifically to get conversation going and, and help them to um, uh, feel like I care. I, I do care. I don't want them just to feel like it. I do. But that's not my personality. It's Linda's natural with this. Well, what happens sometimes, because she's so natural starting the conversation, it, it can stay topical. You've got to be intentional about going somewhere with it, not just getting to know them. Well, I'm the opposite. I'm intentional from the very beginning, but I have to, I have to have um, faux topical because I'm not a, hey, how's the weather? That's not me. I don't, it's not me. 
I truly, you know, I always joke about when, when you see somebody say, how are you doing? And you don't mean it. You don't, I don't even ask that. I just look at them. I catch myself doing that. You know, you just walk up. I did this just a, a couple days ago. Well, I did it today. I went to Panera and I get a, I'm getting a cup of tea. I'm going to sit and do some studying. I'm sitting there and I realize she's just staring at me because I'm not saying anything to her. So can I get you something? Tea. How was your day? And I catch myself because I'm, I'm getting my wallet, I'm getting my card, and I realize she's been talking to me for like three minutes. I don't know what she's been saying. There's, it's, there's, a, certain, there's a certain frequency. I don't hear her. Just, I've learned to... You know what I'm saying? What, let's say something, Linda. That's the frequency. <laughs> um, but I do, I catch, because I'm not, a, I'm not a conversationalist. I have to make myself do that. But guys, if you're intentional, you'll get opportunities. If you're just intentional, start a conversation, say something, do something, you'll get an opportunity. The, the waiter or waitress, don't, don't, they are a captive audience. Don't abuse that. But if you're sensing something, talk to them. Say something to them. If, if somebody's saying that the cash register crying in front of you, ask them what can you do? Right? I know when I see that, I'm like, oh, why did I pick this line? That's what I think. Instead of saying, and I'll, I'll catch myself doing this in my head. Okay. All right, Jesus. Hey, can, is there something I can help you with? It's not my personality. Guys, if we're intentional, people are looking for a, a family. They're looking for a, a, a community that cares about them, truly truly cares. Not for something that they can get back, but truly cares. The next chapter. Are we coming to church to serve or to be fed? It, it, it irritates me when I hear, I've heard this a hundred times over the years. Um, well, I stopped going to that church, or I've had people say that about um, the, the church I've pastored. Um, well, I stopped going there because I just wasn't being fed anymore. Okay, let me say this. <clears throat> this sounds arrogant to say this, but guys, it's not, I'm not being arrogant, okay? Please understand how I'm not being arrogant. I just know who I am, and I know what God has done with me, and I know how God uses me. If you're not getting something from what I'm speaking, that's your problem. I'm putting some good stuff in there all the time. I am teaching solid biblical stuff, and I'm taking it deeper than most of you have experienced before. Now you say, that sounds arrogant. Take it for what it is. I believe that. If that makes me arrogant, then okay, I'm arrogant. When somebody says, well, I'm just not getting fed there, it's your problem. Plus, I think you can get fed in any setting, just about. If you look for it, figure it out. Look for it. Um, well, it just, it, it just didn't minister to me today. Somebody just a couple weeks ago was talking about worship, not here. And, um, and they were saying something about, you know, the, the worship has just gotten stale. And I thought, what I, I said this about two months ago. Francis Chan says this. He's, some people have come up to him. He says, after church, they'll come to me. And, well, I just didn't like worship that today. Well, that's good because we weren't worshiping you. Well, worship was just stale today. Well, that's good because it wasn't about you. You're stale. Worship can't be stale. It's impossible for worship from your heart to the Lord to be stale unless you're stale. You understand what I'm saying? It's all about, it's all about your heart, your spirit, your attitude toward it. It actually has nothing to do with all the stuff. Whether the music's good or bad, whether the setting was copacetic or, or had nice feng shui or all that stuff. It's, it's all about your heart. When you worship, you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. That's not a style. That's not a, a, a place and time. That's you. I just didn't enjoy worship. Then what's wrong with you? What happened? What's your problem? Let's get to the bottom of that and we can maybe help you there. Right? It's, it's weird how we do this stuff. Um, and then a sentence here under the servants. Why do we allow a paradigm in church? This is, I encapsulated like an entire paragraph he said for this. Why do we allow a paradigm 
in church where people do not serve. That, that would have been very foreign to the, to the New Testament church. Very foreign. That, that you have a few people that do a bunch of stuff and everybody else shows up and watches. That, that, that didn't exist. That wasn't part of, the, that wasn't part of the, the New Testament paradigm. Now, we've created it, we've designed it, and we're very comfortable with it. Why are we comfortable with it? Because we don't have to do something if we don't want to do something. We can watch the kingdom of God move forward. We don't have to help the kingdom of God move forward. That's, that's a scary place to find yourself individually. <clears throat> the good shepherds. Um, he talks about, this, is the, this chapter is completely about pastors. And um, what are pastors accomplished? What, are their, what is their goal? All these different things. And he talks about that pastors are very comfortable raising up thousands of consumers. Pastors are comfortable with that. There, there's something about the ego of an individual that if you've got, if you got a, a bunch of people, hundreds, thousands, whatever, a bunch of people wanting to come and hear what you have to say, man, that feeds your ego. You can actually propagate that, desire that more than the people that are coming to hear what you have to say, being changed and transformed and mobilized for the kingdom of God. Are you truly being a shepherd to them, which is developing them and training them? It's, it's, it's more comfortable for people in positions of leadership for, for, to, to have large groups of people to come watch what we're doing. It's, it's much more comfortable for that. Okay? It's, this is the way I think about it with... Um, because I'm musical, right? So <clears throat> when a band is playing, I want to play in the band. But interestingly, most bands don't want you to just walk up and start playing. They don't. I would, I would strongly, in fact, <laughs> this makes me sound stupid, but when I was in college, I was, I was trying to be a professional baseball. Uh, baseball. I, that was also in my goals. But bass player, I was trying to be a professional musician, specifically bass guitar. And, um, and I, would, I would practice songs for hours on end. And one of the reasons that I practiced is because, and I did the same thing with, with guitar, but I would practice. So if I was ever at a concert, let's say Def Leppard, and their bass player passed out, I got gotcha. you. You know, that kind of thing. I would dream about that. I would dream about that. Yeah, but you know what has been happening in the last five or ten years? I've seen this quite a bit. Bands will bring people up and play along with them. They never used to do that. Foo Fighters always does Rush's Tom Sawyer in concert live, and they bring people out of the audience to sing it, which is a very difficult song to sing. I can do that. All right, so nobody's ever asked me. Are, are we truly loving as, as pastors? This is the one about pastors. Are we truly loving and serving people? Or we try to build a, a testimony to ourselves, a legacy of ourselves, a kingdom unto us? Okay? The next one, crucified. We cannot be disciples if we do not surrender all to Jesus. That's straight from Scripture. Suffering is central and necessary for Christians. I'm putting a whole series together right now on suffering since this this was already working in my spirit for a long time then we do this book and then it gets deep into my spirit that that we do not have a good understanding and an embracing mentality of suffering in american church in fact we theologically try to push it off to the side so that it's not part of our existence it's not part of who we are if you're a follower of christ you're going to deal with stuff because why why, why would you ever need to go through suffering as a, as a Christian? That's the first reason, because Jesus did. <clears throat> he said we would in his name, right? You've heard me say this before. Um, I really believe that earth is a boot camp for eternity. So how would suffering fall into that? Who here went to boot camp? I went to That's true, because we are in a fallen world, suffering is part of it. That is, it's, it's, Satan is sowing those seeds. So, Patrick, you went to boot camp. Uh, did you suffer any in boot camp? I did too. One day, 
we were out on this big parking lot, asphalt. It's in Chicago, middle of August. It's 107 degrees. And uh, they said, um, in fact, there was a heat wave that year. Half the time we would sit in our, in our, in our um, buildings. I can't even think of the name right now. Barracks. Um, just sitting there because we weren't allowed to do anything. It's too hot. So one day we're out there and we got our packs on. It's about 60 pounds on your back. And we're jogging in place, doing all this stuff, dropping down, doing push-ups on the hot asphalt. Doing push-ups, get back up, we're jogging in place, doing all these, you know, what you call burpees now. We called them other things then. But, and then the, guy, the drill sergeant in the Navy, they're called company commanders, but in the, the drill sergeant says, how many of you would like to go swimming? My dad told me about a thousand times before I went to boot camp, don't, don't ever volunteer for anything. He, and he told me, because I'm not a middle-of-the-pack kind of guy, that's not the way I think, but he said, Scott, work hard as you can to be middle-of-the-pack. Be middle-of-the-pack. Because if you're not, if you're the end of the pack, they will destroy you. If they're front of the pack, they'll use you as examples. Middle-of-the-pack. I'm like, all right, middle-of-the-pack. So I said, do you want to go swimming? Who wants to go swimming? And I was like, mm-mm, not doing nothing. About 40 guys raised their hand. He's like, okay, you guys all come over here. Keep your packs on. Lay down on the asphalt. Okay, now start swimming. They made them do this on the asphalt for like 10 minutes. You deserve it, doof. So, <clears throat> but here's what suffering does in those kind of settings. You suffer in those kind of things in training and development and all that stuff. And then when you're actually in the mix, in the, in the battle, you are m- ready for that stuff. Without suffering, it's difficult to, to really have tested yourself and be ready under those circumstances. It's, suffering is necessary for our development and our maturation. And I believe most of our suffering is not intended for, uh, to be played out on this earth. We won't know why we're suffering. Some of it just doesn't make sense. But some of it actually has um, purpose for our eternity after this life. Okay? Unleashed. Oh, and then, this is important in the suffering part, and the crucified part. We don't pursue suffering for suffering's sake. We pursue Jesus, and we love people. We don't pursue suffering. Suffering comes along. If we truly are pursuing Jesus, and we're truly loving people, suffering will happen. It will, all right? Unleashed. Church is about people ministering, not being ministered to. Ministering. One of the best ways for you... In fact, I think Paul said this um, in an email recently, maybe, maybe it was today or something, that when you try to tell people about Jesus, you grow, you develop, you mature. I believe the number one, hands down, number one way to grow in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord is to tell somebody about Jesus. That's, you, will, you will grow quicker under those circumstances than any other thing. You can pack all kinds of knowledge in your head and ultimately, it has to transform into somebody's life being changed or, or, or it really is not fulfilling the reason why God created it. God didn't create knowledge just so you have knowledge. This is one of the things, I love apologetics, but this is one of the things about apologetics that, that irritates me sometimes is we, we strive so hard to have a good apologetic approach to be able to answer somebody when they ask a question, but we don't actually mobilize them to people get saved. We're just proud of our ability to answer the question. And so when somebody asks about um, um, evolution, and we can answer all those questions, and then we all walk away, but nobody's actually moved closer to the Lord. But we've got a bunch of knowledge, and we feel good about it. We, we kind of pump ourselves up because we have knowledge, and we've, ex- we've debated well, or we've explained well, but we didn't actually bring somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's a false, it's a false um, confidence it's a self-confidence rather than a spirit confidence that says, my goal in having a conversation apologetically is so that they can know Jesus through it somehow. It's not just to be able to answer the scientific debate or whatever. But to, to but truly, how can I help them to know? Um, everyone, every one of us have gifts and abilities that will build the kingdom of God. We need to expect to be used by the Holy Spirit at all times for all ages. Uh, we've been talking about this in our, in our uh, staff meetings um, a lot since Krista's been here, 
is that as my expectation of both Josh and Krista when it comes to youth and children is that they will be teaching, preaching, and expecting their uh, area of influence to have an understanding of the Holy Spirit and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't matter if it's a six-year-old or a 16-year-old. Six-year-olds can, can know who Jesus is, and they can know who the Holy Spirit is, and they can operate in the, in the understanding the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's necessary for us to teach that, to teach salvation at, at young, young ages. I've told you guys this story, but man, this is, I didn't even really understand this totally when this happened to us. Jonathan was about a year and a half, and uh, we're sitting at dinner one time, and he starts, he's over there, you know, playing his food or whatever, and he starts saying, a beeble, a beeble, a beeble, a beeble, a beeble, a And I was like, I look at Linda, we both, is that the B-I-B-L-E? Going to talk about it? So we went and asked the nursery director at church when we got back to church. The next time, we said, do you teach the kids the Bible? The, the Bible, Bible. Do you teach the kids the B-I-B-L-E? And she said, yeah, Jonathan can sing it. Is he ever sang it for you? Uh-huh. I had never thought about a two-year-old learning things about Jesus. To me, back in those days, the nursery is where you stuck the kids so you didn't have to deal with them. I didn't know they did things in there. And now this is, a, this is I'm adamant about this. We, we need to be teaching the, the, to the youngest of the youngest. Teach them Jesus. Teach them who he is. Don't, don't assume they can't know. Teach them and let the Holy Spirit figure out when they can know. Okay. Every one of us need to be used by the Holy Spirit. All right, church again. This is where he kind of hammers down on some stuff. We fill up our services with stuff and gimmicks because we don't expect God to truly show up. The New Testament church did not have stuff and gimmicks. They had one thing, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. And the power of the Holy Spirit transformed a generation and has led us to this day where the gospel has moved all across the entire planet. That's supernatural. That's not human. That's supernatural. It's not church growth plans. It's supernatural. It's not trying to get more people in the building. It's we want you to know Jesus. We want you to see Jesus. Okay? So, so my goal as a pastor is I want to please God rather than people. Now, I, I think, again, this is, this is where I'm talking about me. Um, I don't really think I struggle with this area. I struggle with other things, but I don't struggle with this one as much. Okay? Um, I don't really concern myself, probably to a fault. In fact, if we went around the room, you guys could probably give me some of that fault. But uh, I don't struggle with concerning myself with what people think about what I'm speaking or what I'm teaching, those kind of things. I really just get in and pray and get in God's Word and, God, what are you telling us? And so, Somebody asked me, we were talking about this just recently, I don't remember where. They were talking about um, tithing. Was it at the journey? Was I talking to you about this, Michael? I think it might have been. I don't know. I don't know. So I was talking about tithing and stuff like that. I, I don't pay attention to who tithes in our church and who doesn't. I said, oh, I was at breakfast with somebody. That's what it was. And, um, and I said that to them, and they said, you should. You're the pastor. And I said, you're right. I don't disagree with that. I've been told that many times. I've, I've had this discussion with many, many people over the years. People say to me, you're the pastor, you should um, know whether people are tithing or not because you're trying to um, lead the people and all this stuff. Sure. I, I always say to them, you're completely correct. I do not disagree with you at all, but I'm not going to look at it. Any idea why I don't look at who's tithing and who's not? It's much easier for me to preach when I don't know if you're tithing or not. Because I'm going to talk about tithing. Why? Because it's necessary for you. It's necessary for you. But I, I'm human. I can't help this. You roll up in a brand new Jaguar and you haven't been tithing, I am not going to think nice things about you. And neither is Jesus. 
So I don't look. Now, there are certain uh, groups of people that I do know for sure that they tithe. Do you know who that group is? Two groups. The board, the staff. Because, um, actually, I've never checked on Sam. Sam, do you tithe? You do? Okay. Just dawned on me. I don't know about Sam. Sam, I need to talk to you after service. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it's not on Sam. Um, but here's the thing. You can't be a board member in this church if you don't tithe. That kind of makes sense, really, if you think about it. You can't make decisions about the money that people are tithing to the kingdom of God if you don't tithe. That's bad leadership on me. If I don't do something about that, our church will suffer because of that. So if, if, um, if you ever get nominated for a board member, we're going to, you, you actually get a, anybody in here been nominated for board? Some of you have. You get a little packet. It's very invasive. We ask you lots of stuff. And then we have your spouse answer a bunch of stuff. Because why? This is, this is the spiritual leaders for our church. They're setting the direction. It's necessary, it's necessary that, that, that we know that we're doing, at least at certain levels, that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. There's a lot of accountability at that level. Same with our pastors, a lot of accountability. Um, we, we had this when, when Shelby first came on staff, she was still single. I have a whole other accountability thing that I do with her that's different than married people. Krista's on staff. We talk about this stuff. She does not like it. Because <laughs> we also ask her, okay, it's not important. She's dating somebody, but sh- I didn't say that. So, no, she doesn't use the word dating. But she's dating somebody. You guys want to know who it is? Who wants to know who it is? Raise your hand. I'll tell you. So, <clears throat> it's Josh's little brother. All right. Ask her about it. Please. I, I joke about it a little bit, guys, but I, I've explained this to her, and I've explained I've had other people on staff with me before that are single. I've talked to them about it. You're in the public eye, and if that makes you uncomfortable, you need to do something else for a living. You're in the public eye. And it's good to be in the public eye when you're in that setting because there's a natural extra accountability there. That happens. There's accountability. As a married man, there's more accountability. If you go into a restaurant and you see me sitting at a table with another woman that you don't know who that is, you should come over and ask me. I'm not kidding about that. (laughs) I'm not kidding about that. I mean, you think I'm joking, but I'm not joking. (laughs) You should ask me and tell Linda. But seriously, walk up in the middle of the restaurant and say, hey, pastor, who is this? I, I'm not kidding about that. You see any of our pastors under that context, you go up and ask them because that shouldn't be happening. I don't go places with women. I don't have meetings with women, uh, private meetings. I don't go to lunch with women. It doesn't happen. Because why? I'm, I'm not going to do anything at any time that may jeopardize who God has me to be. Okay? All right. The last one, surviving arrogance. Um, it isn't about you. It's about God. Is this maybe something you process to live in humility? Okay, so we've gone through all of these. If you would like, you don't have to. We're just going to pray in a little while about this. But if you would like um, to share with us where, where on that list you think maybe you could work on something. That's, I know it's pretty heavy. Did you get Karen? That's a that's a very good answer. That's a very good uh, evaluation. I, I, I you know, I, I pray everybody in this room gets what she just said. I'm not I'm not being critical of us, guys. It doesn't matter if you say, "Well, I pray in the Spirit every day." Pray more. Pray more. I, I've been telling many people this lately. 
But, but one of them is my oldest son. He, he struggles some with depression. When you're in ministry, you deal with things that you don't deal with in regular jobs. You just do. And he struggles with some depression and stuff. And I tell him all the time, Jonathan, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. It will fight depression. The Holy Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's life. That's not death. Raise Jesus from the dead. That same Holy Spirit will quicken your physicalness. That's life. That's, that's, that's solid, Karen. That's really solid. All right, anybody else? What's, what's, where on this list, what's the Holy Spirit working on you about? These are not the easy ones, huh? You're like, I'm good. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. One for me. Um, this, this is something the Lord's been working on me for a while about. Is to really, really get in. And, and if I talk about the supernatural and I talk about this on a regular basis, we need more miracles. We need these things. We need this. Well, I need to be specifically intentionally praying for those things. Not just praying for you for those things, which I do, but praying for me for those things. Lord, I want to see your presence and your power more. I want to um, pray for people and them set free or healed or whatever. And, I, and I've experienced that at many different times over my life. I'm not experiencing it so much now, right now, at this season of my life. That's not okay. Because there's only one person to hold accountable for that. That's me. I can't say it's your fault. I can't say it's your fault that the Holy Spirit's not working in my life like I think he should. Right? I mean, I could. It's not true. I'm my fault. You know what I mean? So I want the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. So I'm going after that. Anybody else? That's a that's a good way to say that. Yeah. We used to have these when I was a youth pastor, we used to have these trials. There's no way I could do this with adults. They'd run me out of the church. But I, I did these trials with teenagers. We would take a teenager and and I would let them know the week before you're gonna be on trial next week. You have to bring people with you. Part of the reason we did it was it was evangelism. The teenagers didn't realize it, but it was evangelism. <laughs> I did that to them. But we would put a kid on trial, and they would have to bring some friends from school or, or whoever they wanted, family, other kids in the youth group or whatever, because we were going to try to prove whether they were a Christian or not. We are going to put them on trial for being a Christian. And they had to prove they were, and, and there was a, a lawyer, another teenager, trying to prove they weren't. And uh, it was a lot of fun, enjoyable. The kids got, you know, had a big kick out of it. But it was very uh, revelatory because it was very difficult to prove some of these kids were Christians sometimes. They couldn't just say, I'm a Christian. Well, the facts say, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Having a 15-year-old, I don't think you're a Christian. I'm going to prove it. You know, that. I want to be found guilty. I'm, I'm with you, Michael. I want to be found guilty. Anybody else? Aiden?
You know, the, the way that uh, Aiden just said that, that it's an obligation. There's a, I've seen a bunch of things in, in my 49 years of life, growing up in the church and in the last 29 years of ministry. Um, there, there was this, um, when I was a kid, the way you witnessed to people is you told them a lot about hell. And uh, hopefully you scared them bad enough that they want to get saved. And then we got to a point, and there's, there's still a very strong thinking on here. Don't tell people about hell. You don't want to scare them um, to Jesus. And the same thing of what Aiden just said about obligation. We have an obligation to tell people about Jesus. And I've, I've heard people say this many different times in many different ways. Well, if, you, if your heart is not in it, if, you, if it's just an obligation, I'll use his term. If it's just an obligation, well, you shouldn't tell people about Jesus. I, I disagree with th this goofy thinking. I don't care how you get to Jesus. If you get scared to death, th think about it like this. Take your child. Are you okay with them getting to Jesus no matter how? Do you care whether the person witnessed to them felt obligated or not? Or did they just really feel it? I mean, it's goofy some of the things we do. And, and Satan manipulates us with this stuff. I I, I, yes, there was, there was times in my life I was scared to death of going to hell. Part of the reason is because I was working hard at getting there. But, but I still know Jesus. There's no way you can tell me. I, I remember one specific Sunday school teacher I had for my sixth grade Sunday school class. There was 30-something boys in that class. One teacher, her name was Bertha. I remember Bertha. She, she looked just like her name said. And, man, she loved us sixth grade boys. We gave that woman misery. There's no, there's no possible way you can tell me that, that sometimes she didn't teach that class just out of obligation. I guarantee you there had to have been. I never thought about this when I was a kid. There had to have been times on the way to the church she was like, I, I would rather die than go into that class today. You know that's true, right? And so, so Aiden's right. Guys, we have an obligation. I, I, I want my heart to be in it when I'm witnessing. I want to feel it. I want to enjoy it. But even if I don't, I still have an obligation because if they get saved, it doesn't matter how I felt. They're saved. Right? And, and I'm with Aiden, too, on the other thing that he said. I don't want it to be a social club. I enjoy I enjoy the camaraderie that we have as a church. I really enjoy that. I was, I was thinking about that uh, Saturday at breakfast with the guys and just, guys just sitting around talking and, and I love that. I, there's just something about that. I just love that. Um, if, you're, if you're a guy and you're not coming to the men's breakfast, you're missing out. There is, that's a unique dynamic. We're, we're eating bacon and talking about Jesus. It's not two best things on the planet. There's something about that. But is that ultimately why we're doing this? No. We're doing this because Jesus died on the cross. Right? <clears throat> Anybody else? We got a couple minutes before we're 15 minutes late. <clears throat> yes, sir. Dave.
Yeah, there, there, there's nothing equaling worshiping together. Worshiping God together. It's the same thing. I just talked about Thanksgiving, Christmas, all this stuff. You can eat turkey on Thanksgiving by yourself. But it's not the same thing, right? You can open a Christmas present by yourself. But it's not the same thing, right? All right. All right, let's pray. So you're going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me. And, um, and here's what I would like us to pray about. Is that God make us who he wants us to be. God make me who you want me to be. So the kingdom of God moves forward. So the church of Briargate is, is, is a healthy part of the body of Christ. Right? Let's pray. God, Lord, I, I believe that I believe this is your heartbeat. And I believe that you want your heart beating within us. God, I, I feel like we're I feel like we're getting there. I feel like we're I feel like we're pursuing you at, at, at deeper levels. So God, I, I pray for every one of us in here. Lord, you reach out and grab onto us. God, I pray that you change my thinking, my heart, whatever needs to be changed. Convict me, the things you are convicting me of. God, I'm, I'm going to work those things out with you. And uh, God, we want to we wanna be a church that pursues you. So therefore, I want to be somebody that pursues you. I will pursue you, God. Make me what you want me to be. So that church at Briargate can be what you want it to be in Jesus' name. God, fill every one of us here with your spirit. And God, I, I pray for every one of us the same thing Karen said. Lord, that we want to pursue you. Pray in the spirit. Chase after the, the, the things that you have for us. And we thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. All right, you can go home. You don't have to.